to join God in all that he's doing and will do, uh, that we want to join God in the renewal of all things, um, to see the, the various communities that we represent discover life and discover what it means, uh, not only to follow Jesus, but to see him transform things, uh, to make all things new. And so that's what we've, uh, we've been doing over the last few weeks. I don't know if you've noticed that um, there's lots of things going on in Northampton at the moment, particularly sort of regeneration and, and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes the things that are happening in the, the physical, as it were, um, kind of talk and, and, and show us maybe what God wants to do. Um, you know, so there's lots of buildings being pulled down, aren't there? And lots of new things being built up. And, and whilst some of those things are a little bit of a pain, you know, with traffic and getting to, in and out of Starbucks has become a real issue. Um, it's good. It's a good sign. It's a, it's a sign of, of, of life. So much so, our borough council. I don't know if you've noticed this. Our borough council have, have branded all this regeneration, this redevelopment, Northampton alive. Have you seen that? Uh, that they, 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 they brand it in this way. And I think we should expect the world around us. We should expect the creation around us uh, to begin to cry out for life, to begin to cry out for the life that we believe only Jesus can, can bring. Romans 8.19, you don't have to turn there, I'm just, I'm going off on one this morning. But Romans 8.19, it says, um, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In other translations, it says that creation groans. Have you heard that, that, that kind of phrase? And you see our, our world, our town, uh, our neighborhoods where we, where we live groan under the condition that they're in. They, they groan. They're, they're waiting something. That all creation longs for the life of God, doesn't it? All of creation is, is longing for that. And sometimes creation is longing for it so much that, they, that it, it, it tries and builds structures and things to try and discover the thing that it's longing for. But, but it's our conviction that that thing can only be found in Jesus, that he's the only one who really brings life. And so when we, we look at our town's attempts at regeneration, it's, it is like a prophetic reminder to us. It's, it's, it's a reminder to us that creation is longing for the life that you and I carry. That's, it's, it's longing for it. It's, it's crying out for that. What does it say? Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It's, it's crying out for it. And you see that for the longest time, the church has been good at having a vision for itself. Mostly survival. Um, That's that's kind of where the church's vision lies. How are we going to survive? When actually our vision 
It should be for our cities. It should be for our communities. It should be for the neighborhoods where we are. That's where our vision should be. And so whilst our communities and neighborhoods are experiencing decay, it's in the hope that they will find life. It's in the hope that they find life. Verse 20 in that passage says, For creation waits. Uh, creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one of the, wi- uh, the will who subjected it to it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated. And so our call as, a, as sons and daughters of God, our call as, as his people is that we would bring life where there's decay. That we would um, bring freedom where there's bondage. That we would uh, bring liberty where people are captive. We could bring healing where there's brokenness. That's the job of the church. Why is that? So we can have nice church services and pat ourselves on the back? No, not at all. It's not for any of those reasons. But we want to do it because, because it brings life to creation so that Northampton will be brought into the freedom of the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that exciting? That that's, that's the role that you and I get to play. And so when we see signs like Northampton Alive, we need to say yes and amen to that. Because it's a reminder It's a reminder that our town cries out for the very thing that we carry, life. It cries out for the life that is within us. So we've been exploring our mission and vision as a church, and we've had these uh, six headlines, if you like. And really, these, these six headlines are just... Ways in which we think we can outlive this thing that God's called us to do, to join him in the renewal of all things, to bring communities to life. So last week we looked at the first one of those, which was a culture that fuels, that, that, a culture of prayer that fuels mission. Uh, that we want to be people full of passion and longing, that we, we would be willing to just get on our knees and cry out for this place. Um, to see God's kingdom come. This week, as you're probably guessing, we're moving on to the next one. And we're looking at this idea of communities, networks, and neighborhoods. So I want to I kind of unpack what we mean by that a little bit. I uh, also want to just think about how we might engage with some of these concepts, but then also hear from some folks in our community who are already doing that. People who are already attempting to, to grapple with some of the things that we're talking about this morning. See, all of us live within different spheres, don't we, of influence in our lives. All of us have different things. Most of us live in a home, um, I'm guessing. And most of us live in a home that's in a particular street, uh, that's in a particular neighborhood, that's in a particular part of town that makes up a community here uh, in and around uh, around Northampton. Likewise, many of us um, have jobs. Um, some of us uh, have jobs that we do at home. Um, and um, But some of us have jobs in particular industries. 
uh, and get to interact with many different people. Some of us have um, interests. Some of us engage in certain activities that place us within a network of people. Okay, So when we talk about neighborhoods and networks, we're just talking about how we interact with some of those different communities that we are involved in. Now, there's some interesting changes going on in our world. You see, for the last 50 years or so, the world has become increasingly smaller. I don't know if you've noticed that. Not in size, but just in its ability to communicate. Um, and that we're very much a global society, aren't we? we? It's easy to engage with people the other side of the world. It's just, it's just the nature of what technology has brought and all sorts of things like that. And, uh, and so our tendency uh, through, through the generations is, is to lean towards networks over neighborhoods. That's, that's been the reality, that we find relational connection to others mainly through networks, people like us, people who um, share the same values, people who have got the same interests, people who do the same job. So we kind of find a a sense of gravity relationally in networks. Something is shifting. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in all our globalization, our world is becoming suspicious, okay? And so we uh, we have a global war on terror. How's that going? Or we have a global banking crisis. <laughs> that one didn't go down too well. And so there is this, this pull, this gravitation away from networks and back into neighborhoods. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if that's just nostalgia or just like a sense of like, let's get back to the good old days. But increasingly, our lives are becoming more and more about local again. I don't know, have you noticed that? You know, we, we like to go to the local coffee shop and buy things locally and locally source things and get things that are organic. You know, we have those kinds of mentalities. And, and, and so there's this kind of weird shift going on in our culture where, where we still have networks, okay? We still have networks, but also there's this pull towards neighborhoods. And so we have to respond to that as, as, as a church. And so it's in those networks and those neighborhoods that we find this thing we call community. Community is formed. Community is what produces something called social capital. And social capital was a, a phrase coined in the early 1900s. And really, it's this idea that relationships matter. Okay, that connections to other human beings are valuable assets. It's what makes society happen. It's what makes it work. I don't know if you've noticed, church is an amazing sort of melting pot of social capital. Um, just by its very nature, that we, we gather in rooms like this and we have a sense of togetherness. We have a sense of belonging to one another and a sense of camaraderie, that social ca- church oozes social capital. It's, it's one of the strengths of the church. So, social capital thrives in our gathered environments. It's, it's what, we, what we do best. And so we, 
we as a church want to be a gathered community, don't we? We want to be people who gather together. Uh, we want to cherish the opportunity that we have to experience Jesus, to um, worship him, to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. We want to do all those things. We love that stuff. It's, it's the thing that gives us identity and we're completely committed to making that happen and making sure that every time you and I gather in this room, it counts. It counts for something. It's not just another meeting. It's not just another opportunity to have a chin wag. But actually, I collectively get to gather with my friends and encounter the living God. That has to count for something, doesn't it? That has to be an important part of our identity. But in the midst of that, we have to remember that we gather in order to scatter. See, when we talk about bringing our communities to life, we're talking about taking what we experience here and transferring it out there, okay, without having the in and out language, <laughs> that we, we want to take all the life that we experience and take it back to our communities and the, the places where we find ourselves, I said a few weeks ago that our our vision is for Northampton, that we, we want to have um, a Northampton-wide impact. That's what we want. We, we see people coming from all four corners of this place. But we think for us to have a Northampton-wide impact, we need to be hyper-local in our mission. We need to think hyper-locally in how we begin to reach other people. And so the big question is, how do we do that? How do we begin to have this town-wide impact, but then think locally about mission? Mike Pilavachi, who leads Soul Survivor, some of you may have heard of him, but he, he said this, he says, um, we try to make church like a safe castle where we live apart from the rest of the world so they can't get us. Every now and then, we feel guilty because we know Jesus called us to make disciples of all nations. So, we do mission. We practice our Christian plays and testimonies, let down the drawbridge, run out of the castle, do some mission, and hope to take some captives, by force if necessary, and bring them back with us. If by chance, we do get someone to follow us back, we do something to them that we call discipleship, which really seems to involve making them a clone of us so they too cannot relate to anyone outside of the church. And then he says this, the truth is we're not called to live apart from the world and only come out once or twice a year. We're called to live without walls, to be an active part of our community and to influence it for Jesus. And so the big question is, is that how do we begin to live in the reality of that? And often we think it's about big things, don't we? We think we've got to do this big thing. But actually, the, the big thing that God wants to do is often found in the small things that we do. The big things that God wants to do in transforming this town and the surrounding areas is found in the little things that you and I give ourselves to. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 13. 
And I just want to read a few verses. Picking up in verse 3 of Matthew 13. This is Jesus speaking. He said, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and uh, and they withered uh, because they had no root. Other seeds fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times that which was sown. Now, this is an interesting parable because we've all heard it. And so we understand it, don't we? We we all heard it and we all know what Jesus is talking about. And it's one of those parables where I imagine the disciples are all kind of like nodding in agreement with Jesus. You know, they're going, yeah, preach it, Jesus. You know, and then really they're going, what the hell is he talking about this time? Um, and we know this because they ask him, okay? Um, and, and so just like me and you, the disciples were like, yeah, we, 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 this is great. Jesus is amazing. He preaches some great things. He tells some great stories. And, um, and so they, they say to Jesus, what, what's going on? What, what are you on about? All this seed, it's just a bit weird, Jesus. Why, why are you talking about that? And so he, he tells them. He tells them what this parable is about. Verse 18, or verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Snatches away what was sown in the heart. So that was the first seed. And then he says, the seed that was sown on the path uh, that falls in the rocky ground refers to someone who hears it and once receives it with joy. But since he has no roots, uh, they last only a short time. When, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed that falls amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life uh, and, uh, and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word, uh, making it unfruitful. But the seed that falls on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times that which was sown. So here's a question. It's not a trick question, okay? So I'm not going to take a picture of you when you get a question wrong. Um, what is the job of the farmer in this story? What's his job? To sow seed. Well done. That's what his job is, to sow seed. And so we have this imagery, if you like. I don't know if you know how uh, this worked in those days, but you have this imagery of a person with a a sack of seed uh, tied to them, and they're just walking up and down, dipping their hand in in this sack, pulling out some seed, and just throwing it. That's that's the kind of imagery that is uh, is being conjured up. And, And the farmer is not reserved in how he sows the seed. He's quite liberal about it. He just dips his hand in the sack and just throws it. That's all he does. It's all he's doing. He's just really, really liberal with how he sows the seed. So here's the deal, okay? If we are going to join God in what he's doing, if we're going to be part of sowing seeds of the kingdom across this town, we just need to sow as many 
as we possibly can. We just need to be as liberal as in seed sowing as we possibly can. You know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, can I, can I, can I put a seed there? Shall I put it there? You know, will it grow? Will it be worth it? But this farmer, he just sticks his hand in the bag and he just throws the seed. Now, some of it lands in good places and, and, and some of it doesn't. Okay, there's another question. What percentage of the seed makes it? Some of you are doing maths now. No. No. <laughs> 25%. 25%. 25%. All the teachers are looking in disgust now. Uh, 25% of the seed makes it. Isn't that a little bit wasteful, Jesus? You see, some of us are like worried whether the little bit of seeds that we sow are going to come to anything. When the reality is we just haven't planted enough seed. If, if the seed that Jesus talks about only 25% makes it, how much more seed do we need to plant? How many more seeds do we need to sow? And so we, we need to be people who are constantly sowing seeds of the kingdom in our various neighborhoods and networks and, and the communities that we find ourselves. And you see, it doesn't start with a program, okay? It doesn't start with us kind of saying we're going to do this initiative or we're going to do this thing. Those things are good and those things we do invest our time and energy in and we think they're important things to do. But it starts when you and I begin to plant some seeds. It starts with you and I just simply planting seeds wherever we possibly go. And the promise is 25% will make it. 25% of the seed, they're good odds, aren't they? But we need to plant enough seed in the first place. And I really think it is that simple. I don't think it's as complicated as we make it. I don't think um, Jesus intended it to be complicated. It's just us learning to plant seeds in the, the diverse communities that you and I represent. And so we want to plant seeds in particular neighborhoods. We want, to, we want to plant seeds amongst particular people groups. And maybe some of you have a burning passion to think, I would just love to see this part of town transformed. I would love to see this group of people impacted. I would love to see transformation come in this place. And maybe there's some other people in the room who want exactly the same thing. And so maybe then we start to sow seeds together. Increases the odds a bit, doesn't it? But we want to be people who are constantly sowing seeds. And so I really think that... Um, there are some changes culturally coming to us as a church because predominantly as a church um, for the last nine years, we've been a network. We've been a network of people from all over Northamptonshire coming together to worship Jesus. And, and that's been an amazing journey, an amazing part of our history. But I think if we're really serious about bringing communities to life and really serious about seeing Jesus bring transformation, that we need to perhaps step back into some neighborhoods. 
that, that perhaps we need to learn again what it means to be local. And actually, there's a big enough crowd of us here now to have a go at that. And so over the coming months, you know, we want to we do a little bit more of that and just figure out what that begins to look like. You know, over the last few years, we have encouraged some of you to get to know your neighbours. Some of you grit your teeth with joy when you hear me say this. Um, but we said, you know, if Jesus says, love your neighbour, what if we took him literally? What if we attempted to actually love our actual neighbours? You know, the, the people who live next door. Um, and, we, and the challenge was to just get to know your eight closest neighbours. There was no pressure for that to happen in a certain time frame, but just get to know your eight closest neighbours. And, um, and, and, and so the goal of that was, you know, if we're called to love somebody, okay, it's probably good that you know their name. Um, so maybe that could be your first goal, just get to know their names. But the, the hope was that these people that live around us that we see occasionally would go from being strangers to acquaintances to maybe friends. Now, some of you have taken that seriously, and some of you have been doing that. So I just wanted some friends to come and tell us how that's been. Okay, so Jake's going to come, and Anya's going to come, and just tell us really quickly um, just a snapshot of how they are attempting to get to know their neighbours. So Jake and Nikki, you know, they live um, in Springboroughs, in the one of the high-rises, and so... They've got a unique way of interacting with their neighbours because they're all on one floor. Um, but why don't you come tell us just a little neighbouring story? I've got to be honest about something here. That um, Since I've been living with Nikki, she's been open and saying, actually, since you've been here, I've probably spoke to my neighbours a lot more because I have this habit of talking to anybody. I don't care. I'll chat about anything. Um, and Nikki balances me out. She remembers everybody's names because I don't. So I'm like, them couple down there, and she's like... Uh, yeah, Colin and Amanda. And then our direct, our direct neighbours are Suli and Samantha. Um, the couple with Valdrin, a little boy, are Mona and Zyma. Um, one, one thing we have done recently is uh, over the months and uh, the time we've been there is we've always posted things to the doors, like uh, inviting them to the Christmas uh, parties and uh, events and things like that. Or we've had the sachets of coffee, we've chucked them through the door. We also say hi a lot. You know, that's really helpful. It's actually just getting to know them on a basic level. How are you? How's your day? One thing we did recently is for Noah's birthday is Nikki popped an invitation in the door for like people to come around just for an hour to, you know, in, enjoy us in celebrating his birthday. Um, we didn't get the whole floor, but we had, was it four of the six come along? And uh, we had a really good time. We got to know them a bit more. Amanda and Colin are expecting a baby this year, so that was exciting. Um, little Valderin couldn't come. Valderin, sounds like a knight, doesn't it? It's great. He couldn't come. Uh, but Trina, the little girl next door who's two, came along and had a really good time. And it was just a really a good opportunity to get to know them more. And the good thing is about having a child is when you have a child, people tend to talk to you more anyway because he's so cute, it just draws them in. Oh, is he yours? And then you get chatting. So we've just had a really good year getting to know our neighbours a lot more. So yeah, it's been really good. And Anya, Anya's going to come and tell us a neighbouring story as well. Um, I got fed up of Steve doing the same talk every year, so I thought I'd better do something about it. Um, <laughs> 
if you haven't done anything about it, he'll carry on doing the same talk every year. Um, yeah, so um, we have tried to get, a f- get to know a few of our neighbours, um, and one of our neighbours has got a um, little girl, a little bit younger than Eleanor, five, five months younger, I think, um, and I met her when I um, did my pregnancy yoga class thing um, and I was partnered up with her and I was like I recognize you and we were like oh yeah we live in the same street that was how how well I knew my neighbors um, and anyway so I just thought okay well there's a sort of a coincidence let's let's invest a bit of time um, and actually I think the hardest thing about anything like this whether it's neighbors or networks whatever is thinking how do I fit in another thing how do I work out how to you know um, make, you know, meet up with people or organise a street party. You know, you're sort of maybe thinking big in your mind that you've got to do something else. But all I do is just, if I'm going somewhere, just say, do you want to come along with me? Um, or, you know, let's go and get a coffee. Or I'm going to this music group with Eleanor today. Um, are you free? Um, and through that, it's just been really simple because it's just what I would do normally with my time. Um, or like one evening, Pete was out and I was like, do you want to just come around for a glass of wine? Um, wine and uh, stuff does feature heavily in, in this relationship. Um, and so we've got to know each other a bit and then we talk about our husbands and, and go, oh, actually, they might have something in common. So then invited them around for a drink, um, the couple around for a drink with us and then have gone around to theirs and sort of, you know, built up a bit of relationship, which couple of years ago we didn't know them at all and turns out they know all of the neighbours in the street they're sort of the people of peace that Steve sort of mentioned before people who have kind of access to other people and so we now know a lot more neighbours names and things about them like there's a man over the road who's got strange fetishes um, and stuff (laughs) apparently he comes out in tights and and stuff all sorts Um, so we know all sorts of things about our neighbours now we can fill in that grid Pete's going to stop talking on you Um, but, yeah, we could fill in that little grid with all sorts of interesting facts about people. So our next challenge is actually getting to know those people a bit more personally rather than just through somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not like that. Not, not him particularly. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. We'll stop there. Um, I did hear a story this week of a, a church that was closed down because they like to take their clothes off. Um, but, yeah, um, but, yeah, quite scary. Um, it really is that easy. You know, none of these guys said, you know, that was hard. It wasn't hard work. It was just easy to go and begin to plant some seeds. What Anya didn't tell you is that the, the other things that come out of that is conversation. That people think you're a church person. You're involved in leading a church. But you're normal. Uh, you know, you have all those cons- kinds of conversations. So um, I would encourage you. Get to know your neighbours. Get to know them. That's where some of this seed planting begins. We also want to be really intentional at reaching into certain communities in our town. And so we made a video this week about one of the communities that we want to reach into. So why don't we run that? to the church there is a 14,000 strong student community at our university. Mostly aged 18 to 21 these people come from all over the country to study in our town and they live largely around the, the university's two campuses. 
There is also almost 24,000 other 18 to 30 year olds, according to the last census, who live all across our town in almost every single neighbourhood, in almost every single area of work, whether they are labourers or teachers or creatives or young professionals, business owners. What would it look like if people like us took seriously the call to share the love of Jesus with this community? That we prayed for our population as if we believed that God would use us to touch that community? And what if we were disciples who who made disciples, that every year rather than the decline that we hear about, we were hearing stories of more and more people finding hope uh, and faith in, in, in Jesus? What if we restored compassion? and justice by tackling student homelessness that is rife on our campus uh, and, and doing things like helping with mounting debt problems in people in my generation and the generation below. And what if we joined with other other Christians in, in mission onto Abington Street, into the nightclub scene, into the student union bar? And what if we planted connect groups led by students uh, into halls, into student houses? And what if we we took seriously the, this idea of, of raising leaders that shape culture, that shape nations. And in our university right now, there's future members of parliament, future teachers, entrepreneurs, business owners, market leaders. They're all in our midst right now. And, and it's not just a reach into the UK. Every year, the university reckons there's about an extra thousand international students from over 100 countries. What if we could touch 100 nations around the world without actually leaving our town. There are a million things we could do to reach this age group, but the, the, the reality is many of these are already uh, living on our streets. They're our friends, they're, they're our housemates, they're our co-workers. We don't have to go far to begin to make an impact into this community. What if in, in 2015, a few people from a, a small church decided to trust God and really begin to explore what it might look like to try and reach this community? We believe it's time to start doing something. But simply, we just no longer believe that it is enough to expect people to walk through our doors on a Sunday morning. That's cool. <laughs> So we really want to take seriously this whole idea of reaching into our neighborhoods and our networks and the communities that we all represent. It's, it's um, really where we feel the Lord is pressing us. Now there's something interesting about the 25% of that seed that made it. Okay, And it's found in verse, verse 8. See, the seed that lands on good soil, it produces a crop 160 and 30 times that which was sown. So the 25% of seed that makes all of all the seeds that we plant, 160 or at least 30 times more is yielded. That's exciting, isn't it? That we can go, we can plant seed, we don't have to worry about what bits will make it and what don't. We know 25% should make it, but that 25% is going to yield 100 times. It's going to yield 60 more times. It's going to yield 30 more times. 
Anyone, would any of us be disappointed by that? Would any of us think, oh no, I only got 30 times more than what I planted? I'll take that. So we want to be people who are reaching our, our, our communities, networks, and neighborhoods. And that we're mobilized to do that. And it starts with every single one of us. Just simply planting seeds. So why don't we stand we'll pray. I'm conscious that we've run over time this, this Sunday. But we will pray. And I particularly want to pray for some of us who who feel passionately about this idea of of being people who plant seeds, who 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 want to see our networks and our neighborhoods and and the communities that we represent transformed. And we want to be able to be people who who give ourselves to that. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. And Lord, we um, are grateful for all that you've done, Lord, that you gathered people from the four corners of this town and beyond, Lord. And you've brought us together. And Lord, we believe that's purposeful, Lord, uh, that you brought us together from different locations and different places so that we can then scatter, Lord, uh, into the, the villages, the communities, and the places where you have us, Lord. Lord, we, we, we recognize, as you said in the book of Acts, you place us even in the very streets where we live. Um, you determine where we would live, where we would move, what we would do, Lord. And Lord, we, we, we just say, Lord, make us obedient to that. Make us obedient to that, Lord. Help us to be people who just liberally plant the seeds of your kingdom wherever we go. Wherever we go. So what we'd love to do is that if you're a leader in the church or if you feel compelled to a particular neighborhood or anything like that, it's not a promise or anything like that, but God's put something in your heart for a particular place or a particular part of town, we just want to pray for you, okay? And so that, if that's you, just come forward and we're going to pray and we're going to um, just pray God's blessing upon you.